everybody and welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series, and it's a tr- tradition series, as you know. Let's have our joke. Joseph, Tanner, Tanner's telling a joke. Tanner the Joker, jokester. <clears throat> All right, here we go. A guy walks into a bar after a long day at work and new orders a drink. As he sits there mulling over his day, he hears a high-pitched voice that says, that shirt looks great on you. The man looks around, doesn't see anything, and returns to his drink, thinking nothing more of it. But then a moment later, the voice returns, this time offering, You seem like a really cool guy! <laughs> Again, the man looks around, sees nothing, returns to his drinks, wondering if he should get checked out by a professional or something. And finally, when his nerves have cooled down and he believes the voice is gone, he hears, I bet your parents are really proud of you! He slams down his drink and looks, uh, looks around wildly, frustrated and finding no possible source of the voice. He calls over to the bartender. He says, hey, barkeep, what's the voice I keep hearing? Barkeep replies, oh, those are just the peanuts. They're complimentary. <laughs> Thank you, Tanner. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Turn off all devices that make noise and that might or will distract others. Let's take this time, all of us, to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help us stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? (laughs) 
Please join me in the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, repeat after me. God, God let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. At this meeting, we read the appendix two from the big book, Spiritual Experience. I've asked a friend, James, to come up here and read that appendix. Um, the purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's important that we know what one is. James. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater, power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Most our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that an alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent, belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 567-568. Thank you, James. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, unless, of course, you're watching the meeting on a tech device, in which case, leave us on if you want to. Uh, let's set those other phones and devices to airplane meeting mode or just turn them off. Now is the time when I get to introduce uh, Doc. Doc has done a step series for us and a tradition series for us back-to-back, -back, and it's been a really incredible journey. This is tradition 12, uh, or at least the 12th session, um, so I'm very excited to hear what he has to say. If you haven't heard him before, uh, let's just hear what 
his messages. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and with that clear and concise introduction, I am Doc Alcoholic. And I thank God they wrote it all down so that we don't have to figure anything out. How's that? A little bit better. Yeah, good. Tradition 12. So far, we have spent months going through the traditions and seeing how they apply to our lives individually rather than by the group. Because I have heard many times... It be said the steps are for the individual and the traditions are for the group. Um, Not only do I believe that that's not entirely true, I don't think it's even entirely close to true. And uh, I mean, you just look at the traditions, they are aimed exactly at us individually. And then if we all are in agreement of those traditions, then we act as a group. It's, it's just that simple. Without us doing it individually, it won't work. Take tradition three, right? Which removes any bias against anyone who wants to become a member, right? We have to individually remove all bias from anyone who wants to be a member. We can't have, we cannot look at, and I use the word bias so it doesn't trigger people with the word prejudice, right? Because, which is a fighting word right now. But bias is the same thing, same word, right? I can't say, hey, um, I personally have a thing against neo-Nazis and I don't want any neo-Nazis in AA. I, I, I have a tradition that says, you need to suck it up, brother. That has nothing to do with it. You know, if the world is flooding and you're the only one in a boat, you, you don't get to ask people what their belief systems are or how they've, how they've lived their lives before you put a hand out to help them. You just don't get to, right? I know Chris will call me. There was a great movie called Lifeboat. It was a, a, an Alfred Hitchcock movie. And it was about World War II when a, when a boat went down and everybody was in a lifeboat. And then they see a guy that they rescue, and he's a Nazi. So there's one Nazi in the lifeboat, right? And, and it's a great study of like how people interact, their fears, how the, the low guy that was working down in the, in the engine room and the high-end rich woman who was up there wrapped in jewels connect and start having a little relationship on the boat. It's awesome. And whether they should just drown the Nazi or not, because they have to give him part of their water and food. That, you know, that's kind of our story. And it talks about us all being in the same lifeboat. Step set, or uh, Tradition 7 is another one that's easy to apply to our life, right? Are you living off of everybody you know? Is mom and dad still paying for all your bills? Is insurance paying for where you're living and how you're living and your quote-unquote treatment? I'll pause. for effect, or are you completely self-sufficient, right? But this one is really personal. And, and by the way, I, I love listening to people read the 12 traditions because when they stumble on anonymity, you can pretty much guess how long they've been sober, right? 
If they go N, um, N, um, um, you guess they're within a, a year, right? <laughs> they go whatever that word is. Yeah, when you, when you read it 300 more times, we'll know you've made it through a year. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. One of the most confusing traditions, I think, in the way it's written. I don't know what a spiritual foundation is. I can't even imagine what a spiritual foundation is. And I don't see what every other uh, tradition has in common with the other ones. Right? So how can, I, how can I figure out what a spiritual... Why is anonymity, which, which by definition means no name, right? Without a name. Why, why is keeping myself nameless a spiritual foundation of anything, let alone the other 11 traditions? I'm lost before I get to the first comma. And then when I get to the second part of the, the sentence... Uh, I have more often than not been given uh, the wrong definition of that, right? So whenever there's a, a knot hole in a meeting and, and somebody gets upset and then somebody with time grabs that person, goes, relax, relax, don't think about him or her, you know, because remember, principles before personalities, right? And, and they make it sound like we live by a set of principles where we don't get upset over your skippy personality, right? <laughs> Just because you're an armhole, you know, I live by a higher set of principles, so I'm not going to call you out on being an armhole. That's probably a direct inverse of what it really means. <laughs> the, the personalities it's talking about isn't other people, it's us. Right? And, and the principles are based on what those four absolutes were, you know, doing what's right, doing what's good for the common good, right? For all of us. Remember that it says this, this spiritual foundation is supposed to remind me that I do the principles, what's good for the common good, the common welfare of all of us. I do that before anything for me. I, in fact, I consider myself nameless in this whole operation of doing what is good. Okay, so now, now that I understand that, and that makes sense, now anonymity makes sense because I'm doing something separately. Um, this afternoon, this evening, this morning, depending on where you are in the world right now, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some religious experiences based on a variety of religious experiences and on some religions. We'll talk. Uh, there's some truth I want to share uh, that comes from uh, the Buddhist uh, uh, background and uh, some from the Tanakh, which is the, uh, the holy books of, of Jews, and some Christianity. And again, I'm not allied with any sect, denomination, organization, institution. I don't stand for any cause. I'm not opposing any cause, right? I'm not trying to uh, teach anybody or convince anybody who and what God is. I'm just showing some really old stories, thousands of years old, that hold up to illustrate 
what this tradition is and why it's so amazingly uh, important. There's a spot in the big book, and I've quoted this a bunch, and it's, it's back here in the family afterwards. And we used to have on the walls everywhere, we used to have, uh, uh, you can't keep it unless you give it away. And the old timers used to say that to me. And I used, I used to find it a beautiful saying. I wasn't completely sure what it meant. And then as I got a little bit more sober, a little bit longer, I started thinking, well, it means that I need to share this beautiful gift that's been given to me. Um, that's another beautiful thought, but I don't think that's true. Um, I don't think I can share grace, right? It's a, it's a divine gift. It was given to me, um, and I can kind of pass it on, but it's, it's more than that. It's more than that. And, and the book says on page 129 in the family afterward where it's talking about dad just got sober, right? And they call him father just got sober. And he says, uh, joy at our release from a lifetime of frustration knew no bounds. Father feels he has struck something better than gold. For a time, and what is that, by the way? It's not just sobriety. Um, I think it goes back to Proverbs, and in the uh, fourth chapter of Proverbs, which was written by King Solomon, arguably the wisest guy in history, said that, uh, that wisdom is more valuable than rubies. And then he goes on to explain wisdom in a completely feminine form. You know, that she sits outside the gates of the city calling to the young men who come in and they ignore her, right? And wisdom, we know, is the end result of knowledge going through the process of knowledge, understanding into wisdom, right? So I, I, I think this is a reference very close to that. He, he struck something better than gold, right? And for a time he may to try to hug the new treasure to himself. He may not see at once that, and here's the important part, he has barely scratched a limitless load, which will pay dividends only if he minds it for the rest of his life and insists on giving away the entire product. Right? How beautiful is that? The more I give, the more I've got. The Buddhist story is that a man went to uh, the Buddha and said, uh, I want you to teach me about this, this being complete, about knowing what everything is and isn't. And later it would be uh, identified by Zen Buddhists as Zen, but it, it, at the original time it wasn't. And the Buddha said he, he wasn't impressed. He went over and and got a cup of tea and, and started to pour, got a cup, started to pour himself a cup of tea and just kind of ignored the guy. And the guy was watching him and the Buddha filled the little cup and then it got to the top and it overflowed. And he kept pouring and pouring and it, it continued to overflow until the man got just frustrated. He said, not only are you not listening to me, you're not even paying attention to what you're doing. Why are you pouring tea all over the place? And the Buddha said, I just wanted to illustrate that what I'm doing is the same as what you're doing. You're coming to me with a mind that's full and you want to understand about everything. And there's no room for me to teach you anything. 
And, and it, 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 it's a beautiful thought that, that if I can empty my mind of all preconceived ideas, which we know we, in this series I, I've mentioned it, is that king baby, that ego, that thing that's out in front of us, that thing that is constantly thinking, constantly trying to protect us, constantly forming opinions, putting it out in front of us where fear, doubt, and worry is formed. And what we do as recovered individuals is we do an 11th step, we pray, we meditate, we do some self-examination, and that lowers that to very little. We, we, we meditate to become completely empty. There's a prayer that says, may I, may I forget, Robert, old Robert would say it when we, had, you know, when we were doing flesh and bones. May I forget everything I've ever heard or learned about the 12 steps so that I can learn something today, Right? I've spoken, you know, many times because of the times we live in about Tradition 10 and how we really need to hold on to that really tightly. It doesn't mean that we can't observe what's going on, right? But I need to observe what's going on with a completely empty mind. I need to be able to look at the neo-Nazi and go, you know, I can't decide he's wrong based on yesterday. I need to come to him empty and her empty, and you empty, God empty to everyone. So once I start doing that, now I'm able to look at the truth where I find it, wherever it may be. You know, I've used Rumi, the, the Islamic poet, as an example, or, or Buddha, or Jesus, or the, the Jewish prophets, or whatever where I find it. It's great. Snoopy the dog, right? If you find the truth, it, 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 it might help you. So here we are looking at what, what exactly does this mean, right? Anonymity is the foundation, the spiritual foundation. Okay, so we know right there, it's not the, the literal foundation. So it's not the literary foundation, right? We know that it's something beyond our understanding. In the uh, varieties of religious experiences, it talks about, you know, at the conclusion that, that, that I've said several times that this, this material world is a material world existing in a spiritual universe, right? And so that's what it's meaning. It's something not material, this foundation. So I'm going to explore it a little more. Let me read the very first thing. The spiritual substance. Well, that's awesome. That's what I need. I can't really understand a spiritual foundation without thinking of it in a substantive form, right? If it's a foundation, it's holding other things up, the other traditions up, and I still want to make it material. So the very first line, how beautifully is it, it, it's, it defines what the spiritual substance of anonymity is. And if somebody were to come up to me before I started doing traditions and say, hey man, do you know what the spiritual substance of anonymity is? I wouldn't even know what spiritual substance is. But it's right here and it's been staring at us for 40-something years, 50-something years. The spiritual substance of anonymity is sacrifice. What is that? What does that mean? Well, sacrifice... Again, looking up the etymology, um, sacra is where we get the word sacred, right? And sacrifice is a sacred ritual. 
It means uh, specifically to give something to a deity or higher power. Those are the words it uses in, in, in its definition. Awesome. So I want to, uh, 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 it, since my spiritual foundation, the substance of this spiritual foundation is sacrifice, anonymity and sacrifice must go together, right? Yeah, absolutely. And what does that mean? So we're going to jump to... Uh, to Matthew, who, by the way, if you don't, don't, if you're one of the people that have like, still have a resentment to Christianity, stay tuned because I'm with you on a lot of that. Um, I'm just, I just, uh, I just, I, I don't have a resentment. I'm just not really hip to uh, people of any uh, religious order screaming uh, things that are wrong at the top of their lungs. You know, um, if anybody should not have uh, viewpoints on outside issues, I would think it would be Christians and Buddhists and people of religious orders, right? Um, and yet, that's that's not what we get. Um, Matthew was was originally named Levi. He was a tax collector. He would be the same as a drug dealer pimp today, and that's why the other cats, the other uh, disciples. Uh, when Jesus showed up with him, they go, we're not eating with that dude. He's not sitting down at this table to eat with us. He can eat out in the courtyard if he's your guest, Jesus. And Jesus goes, dude, you know, he's just as welcome as you are. Ow, tradition three. Ow, right? In, in fact, he says, he's not even that awful guy. We're going to change his name to Matthew from Levi. Forget Levi, he's now Matthew. So you hated Levi, let Matthew in. So they let Matthew in, right? And Matthew, who happens to be an educated man, is the guy who wrote his whole gospel, right? Again, we're not talking about Jesus as God. We're just talking about Jesus as a guy and these other guys. And because Jesus as a man um, really taught Buddhism, which was, you know, 600 years old when Jesus was around. And uh, what he says is, is in Matthew 6, there are two different really important lectures. And theologians, I don't like theologians. They're awful people, generally. Generally, if you're a theologian, um, I like you. But anybody else, I don't. Uh, because they, they, uh, the theologians I have known have just tried to prove religion wrong, and that's what they've devoted their life to. They are hypocrites of the highest degree. And so they often say that you know, either Matthew got it wrong or Luke got it wrong or they were both copying from Mark when they talked about this great talk where we hear the Beatitudes. No, they were two uh, of the same sermons in two entirely different places at two entirely different times. One is the Sermon on the Mount up on the Hill of Olives, and one is the Sermon of the Valley, which was down in a low place in Luke. So the one in Matthew is one. You know, it's like a theologian never been to church. You never heard a minister give the same sermon more than once? Please, you know, that's what Jesus was doing. And that's why they're all slightly different. It's just, why complicate stuff? Just like the big book. Read what's there, you know? So one of the things is he says to everybody... 
Um, and this is in a new international version, so it, it, it's common English. Um, I like the poetry of uh, the King James Version, but that's when I'm studying the poetry of the King James Version. So for content, I'm just going to read this out. So Jesus says to all these people, about two to 3,000 people, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Right? Don't do good deeds in public. Or uh, put it another way, remain anonymous when you do your good deeds. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, when you help an alcoholic, right? when you reach out, and that can be one who's sick and suffering, or it can be giving me a ride, giving the, some, picking someone up at the airport, giving someone home a ride from a meeting, helping someone, you know, whatever. Up, up the ladder or below the ladder, doesn't matter. We're helping for the common good. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. By the way, I bought all these chairs at this meeting. Get your feet off of my chairs. Right? This is a great story. It's a true story. At this big meeting hall, they needed new chairs. And this guy said, I'll donate the money for the chairs. And then he did. And, and he didn't do it anonymously. So it wasn't long after that that he started saying, you know, by the way, you have all these chairs because I donated the money for the chairs. And then it became, get your feet off of those chairs, they're brand new. And within a heartbeat, it was, get your feet off of my chairs. Right? And God goes, well, you know, what you wanted was to be known by everybody. You got your reward. You're done. Right? So, 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 so what are we thinking here? We're thinking, when I, if, if, if I'm going to get rewarded first, I do it without the motivation of wanting to be rewarded which ironically gets me a greater reward, right? So it says here, it says, uh, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, whenever, whenever they put that, they go, for real, for real. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's where that saying comes from. It doesn't mean one is cheating and one is... The, no, it means... If you're working here, let this one be taking the profits and giving it to the needy without stopping your work and without anybody, without you even consciously noticing it. You just keep working with your right and let your left hand out bits to the needy without you even thinking about it, right? Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. He says the same thing about prayer. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. For real, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen, and your father who sees you... uh, sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then he goes on, right? It's, a, it, it, it's an awesome thing. It's anonymity. And that's what it's saying here. It's saying we place the principles of doing what is commonly good for everyone before my own personality. 
right? So that's what else does the, the book say? Spiritual substance is sacrifice. What am I sacrificing? Because AA, keep that in mind, what am I sacrificing? Because AA's 12 traditions repeatedly in all of them ask us to give up personal desires for the common good. That's what all the other traditions say. How can that be for the group? There is no personal desire for a group, right? Therefore, right there, it proves that all of these traditions are for you individually, for me individually. They're the postgraduate course of the 12 steps. Now that I've had a spiritual awakening, now that I can see that I'm not the only soul in the spiritual universe, now that I can see that I have to live by these four absolutes yet again, well, they're not in the big book. No, but they're really good to live by. Right? They're not to be sober. They're not used to get sober. They're used to quit being an a-hole. Right? Am I honest? Is this honest? Right? Just honesty, unselfishness, love, and purity. Right? Is it the right thing or is it not the right thing? Is it beautiful? You know, that's purity. Love, is it, is it, is it beautiful or is it ugly? Right? Unselfishness. What, the, what does the other person feel? Or think, how will it affect them? And honesty, is it true or not? Right? And, and, and that's not to get me sober, to keep me sober. That's to keep me being a, a decent human being. Those are the sacrifices I'm making. That I sacrifice my personal desires, personalities, same words, personal desires, personalities, for the common good. Not just of AA, primarily for AA, primarily for my inner group, and I don't mean inner group, I mean my inner circle, then primarily after that, the next, they can't all be primarily, but once I've done one, the secondarily for, for my home group, you know, after that for AA in my inner group and district, my state, the country, the world, and everybody else, every human being beyond that, Right? we realize that the sacrificial spirit symbolized by anonymity, right? I'm sacrificing being known for anything good I do. It doesn't matter if people go, you know, I hate that doc dude. He's big, he's loud, he's kind of a dick, he's overly opinionated, he's always shoving like definitions in my face and acting like he knows more than everybody. And then he always brings up like the Bible. And so he disguises it by just reading the Jewish part and saying that that's different. And then he, then he says, I'm reading the, the Jesus part, but that's Buddhist. So I hate this guy, you know? So, so my sacrifice is you are absolutely allowed to hate me all you want, right? I don't get up here to be like. I want you to like me. I want, that's, that's another Buddhist thing, right? Is to be liked by everyone. We talked about that last night. To be, to be living a life so beautifully, the Buddha said that even the stones around you when you're meditating like to be near you. That the animals and birds like to be near you. There's St. Francis, right? That children and widows like to be around you, Right? I know crazy people like me. Just look at all the women I've dated. Oh, did he go there? Yes, he went right to it, didn't he? Like kryptonite. Maybe I just like them. 
I like the needy. <laughs> Emotionally needy, that is. Sacrificial spirit, well symbolized by anonymity, is the foundation of them all. Sacrificial spirit is, is, our, fan, is our foundation for all the, the traditions. Once we're sober, now it's about how to be a decent human being, right? Now I have to stay sober, but I also have to carry this message. I have to practice these principles in all, all my affairs, right? And the only way I can do that is with a confidence in my higher power, that God has me completely, that not only have I made a third step decision, but I have through the rest of those steps and through living the traditions and understanding the concepts, totally taken the action to give everything up, to not hold on to it, right? And I know our, our, our weirdly one-dimensional viewpoint of the world, not even three-dimensional, right? That like time and space, we just get so, we don't get much. We don't see things very deeply. And I start thinking that, you know, that what I do, I, I'm going to give my, my will to God, then I'm going to take it back, then I give it and I take it back. I would argue that if you can take your will back from God, you need a stronger God. You know? And, and I don't need to give anything to God. God can take whatever he wants. All God has to do is think of me and I cease to exist. I cease to have ever exist. I will existed. I will be plucked out of the time continuum forever, and there will never have been a trace that I was ever here if God decides to think of me in that way. You know? What, 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 what William James says is a beautiful thing here. Right? He's talking about grace. And that grace, when we have grace, right? This is in the uh, lecture on saintliness. We get filled with God's will, right? In, in the book that uh, uh, Buckman, who was one of the founders of the Oxford group, uh, based the Oxford group on um, the principles of Jesus, he talks about God's will. And even though we're completely powerless, we're like a, a beautiful uh, 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 antique Rolls-Royce phantom with no engine in it, Right? We get sober, we get all cleaned up on the outside, then we start working, we get cleaned up on the inside, and we still have no engine. So we're useless. Until God goes, you know what, I will, I will be your engine. Well, how is that possible? You fill that space with God's will, right? When, this, when, when me being this antique car exists to do whatever God wants me to do, he instantly gives me the power to do it. You know, there's, there's no way that God will explain his will to you and not give you the ability to do it. That's, that's not how God is, right? That's not God. That we, and we've proven that over and over in, in, in this fellowship. You know, those of us with time go, yeah, every time I look for God's will, he gives me the ability to do it. Every time I make a deal with God, he gives me obstacles to get over to prove that what I said I meant. Right? As soon as I go, I'll never do that again. Just help me with this. Then I get this terrible thing and that. It's like I'm in a test period. 
And if I pass it, you know, or if I don't give up, if, I, if my word is golden, sometimes I come out on the other side all right. But, but will, having his will is what empowers me, right? And that grace, that grace is free. And he says um, that there is on page 212 here, he says uh, that, uh, that no matter what the person that's experiencing the grace in its different forms, wherever it is, whatever the occasion is, that it is easy to recognize, quote, it is easy to recognize that it is fundamentally one state in spirit and fruits of that spirit, right? Uh, When we penetrate a little below and we find this, we find uh, there is veritably a single fundamental and identical spirit in people who have experienced this grace. Which, by the way, we get as soon as we even look toward the light, right? We've talked about it. You don't get, you, you don't get sober after step 12. God gives you this gift of sobriety to be able to, to build on it. Um, there is a veritable, uh, single, fundamental, and identical spirit of Piety and charity common to those who have received grace. An inner state which before all things is one of love and humility, of infinite confidence in God, and of severity for one's self, accompanied with tenderness for others. Right? Right? I don't think much of me anymore. That sacrifice is constant. It's really difficult because I'm, 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 I am the most interesting man in the room, right? You are the most interesting, right? When they go, I said it last night, when they go, and especially welcome to the newcomers. You're the most important person in the room. Bull-oney. I'm the most important person in the room, right? And if you don't think you're the most important person in the room, I would argue you're either a saint or you're dead or you're fooling yourself, right? You think you're the most important person in the room. And I said last night, okay, I will concede that the newcomer is the most welcome person in the room. I'm the most important, although I may not be the most welcome. We go, God, what a self-centered son of a gun this guy is. I'm just speaking truth, man. You think the same thing. If you're honest with yourself, you think, I love all these people, but I'm just a little bit more important than they are. You know? You know, and here's why. Because the fundamental need for God is that God, in every known religion, all the way back to pre-Amakites, right, is that God deals with you personally. Science does not. Science has no knowledge of your existence, nor if it had the ability to care, would it? But God knows of you personally, no matter how you see God, understand him, get him in your head, get your head around him, or don't get it around him, no matter what it is throughout all history. That's one of the fundamental aspects of God or gods, a pagan uh, a pantheon of pagan gods say. Still, they know you personally. And they will deal with you personally. Right? And something inside of us goes, yeah, maybe I am just a little bit special. 
Well, the beautiful thing about traditions is that we're all a little bit special, and that puts us in one special group. And so any of that, that weird misconception, it, it truly is a misconception, because the truth is, I'm just speaking, you know, when I say I'm speaking truth, I'm saying what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, probably. And, and, but the truth is, of course, I'm not more important than any other living human being, you know? If I go back to Buddhism, I'm probably not more important than any other living thing, right? I used to spend a lot of time, about, about three times a week, three nights a week, uh, uh, meditating in a, a, a local Buddhist temple, and then on the weekends I would do the outings and things. And I was in the kitchen, and they were making, you know, these these vegetarian meals and stuff, and, uh, you know, they, they had, like, the screen doors and stuff. So there is Florida. They had those little sugar ants all over the counter, right? And I started to get ready to go, bam, 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 right, and protect my food. And then I realized, oh, crap, I'm in a Buddhist monastery. I can't be killing ants, right? I can't kill anything. They really frown on that stuff, <laughs> right? Okay, I'll just play along. But but what ha- what happens is you go, yeah, even though it's just a tiny ant, there is something in there that is absolutely inexplicable to science, right? Or to psychology, or to me, right? This force of life, it's an amazing thing. And I don't really want to be the one that destroys it, even if it's a fly, you know? And I'm not getting goofy, but when it's put in your face and you have to confront it, you start going, yeah, it's a big universe, I'm one little fleck in this giant universe. So, the spiritual substance of anonymity is sacrifice. The sacrificial spirit is the foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us that we live by certain principles before we think of ourselves. That now makes perfect sense. The rest of the other four pages of this chapter are all about stuff we've discussed in other traditions, right? About going out in public, about talking about whether you you are, about sharing it with your neighbor, about your personal anonymity and stuff like that. And that's great. It's beautiful. There's all sorts of stuff in here. Um, And it talks a lot about humility and such. But, But what about sacrifice to God. So let's let's say, hmm, what do the Jews have to say about this? Let's see, shall we? Okay, good. Um, in the Tanakh, the scroll uh, that where in the present Bible would be the Old Testament, um, it's the book of prophets uh, in the Jewish lore. And um, all of those, uh, there's a long history where, where uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, that was all one scroll. And in fact, up until about 1500 in the Reformation, it was, there, were, there was no book of uh, Samuels. It was Kings 1, 2, 3, and 4. So it's been, you know, retitled, but it's all one thing. It's a book of history at this point, right? So Samuel was this cool cat. He was a kid. His mother was uh, barren, and she came to the... Uh, first of all, all of this is written about... Well, I mean, it, it all takes place somewhere around 
1100 to 1200 BCE, okay? So a while back. And, and what's funny is if you talk to, to you know, know-it-all, humanist, atheist, scientism worshipers, they're like, you know, all those people, they were, they were stupid. You know, they worshiped the moon and things. No, man, they were, you know, Jesus. They, they invented metallurgy for Christ's sake. How do you do that? You know, you look at a rock and go, I'll bet if I added enough fire to that thing, I could turn it to a liquid. You know, who thinks that? Nobody. And then you go, you know what? I have all this, this stuff I'm going to call copper. And if I went about 5,000 miles up to Afghanistan and got some tin, I could create bronze, start this whole new age. Right? Where does that come from? These weren't stupid people, right? They're very intelligent people. And Samuel, uh, his mother, went to the temple and to the, the, the tabernacle, and she would uh, uh, pray to have a, a son, a child. And God denied her, and God denied her. And finally she said, God, if, if you let me have a son, I will raise him up to the appropriate age, and I'll turn him over to be a priest. And she was pregnant. And so she did what a mother's supposed to do, took care of a whining, crying baby, fed it, grew it up as a toddler, ran around, got to the age where he could be turned over, um, probably around seven, I may be wrong, seven or eight, and and brought him to the priest, and they said, okay, he's now going to work here. He lives here and works here. And that's what he did for a number of years. And he was an excellent kid. And then when he got a little bit older, a preteen, he he woke up one night because he heard... Somebody yelling, Samuel, and he got up and ran to the head priest, and he goes, "Uh, what is it, sir? What do you need? And he goes, I didn't call you. And that happened like three nights in a row. And finally, uh, the head priest and the other, the high priest and the other priest got together, and they go, Samuel, if you hear this voice again, it's probably God. So just hang out at your bed and answer him. Now, if you're like 12, that's scary as hell, right? But that's what he did. And God came to him and said, "Little, little Samuel, You're going to be one of my personal prophets through your whole life. You will change the history of the world. And I want you to prepare for it and listen for me. Listen, 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 right? The bit in its teeth, that gentle steering. And I'll take care of you your whole life. You're you're going to be above these high priests. You're above all kings. You work for me personally. Done. And And he did. He was a really good guy. He was the prophet that anointed Saul, who was... Uh, king of of, of uh, Israel, and then when God wasn't happy with Saul, uh, Samuel was the one sent to anoint the son of Jesse, who was David, the kid. Before he even met Goliath, he was anointed to be king, while Samuel or while uh, Saul was still king. But but why did Saul get get booted, man? Because God picked him. Here's what happened: is is God told Samuel. And this is, I'll tell you, this is 1 Samuel chapter 15. Read it as though you're reading it as a chapter in the back of the big book, right? And that, that, that it's not about um, being at war with the Amalekites, the Amalekites, sorry. Um, it's about obeying God, okay? So now remember, we want to keep, in, keep in, in God's eye by sacrificing, and they're physically doing a sacred ritual, which is to take what I have of value, it's rams and sheep, and I'm going to kill them and burn them on an altar as a, as a ritual to show you 
that even the best things that I have are, are yours, God. Today, we would write a check or we'd use our, we'd use our uh, 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 card, right? And we'd send whatever percentage you know, we're supposed to send, 10, 15, 20% of our paycheck to uh, the home office. Imagine what the world would do if every AA over a year gave 10% of his income to the home office. They would have to dump it. There'd be way too much money. They would have to dump it by doing things like printing books and giving them all away free, giving them to every prisoner in, in jail. Wow. What would happen if we did the right thing? I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm asking. So, so God tells Samuel to tell Saul, listen, the, the Amalekites... I don't want them to exist anymore. I want to I cut their, their branch off the vine. They're, they're done. And I'm going to use you as my tool on earth to do it. Right? I could just smack them with lightning. They'd all be gone. But we're going to work it into uh, the world history. And it's going to be a war that kills them all. So I'm going I'm to empower all of your army to go wipe them out. Don't let anything alive live. That's, that's my order. And so Saul goes and does it. And then while after the war, Samuel hears from God, and God goes, oh, man, these guys, this king. He didn't do what I told him. And, 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 and Samuel's like, what? what happened? And God goes, well, go talk to him. He did not kill, first of all, he didn't kill the king, and he kept all the choice rams and sheep. And so, so uh, Samuel goes, goes back to uh, uh, Israel and says, Where, where's, where's uh, Saul? Well, he, uh, he's not here. He's down in another place. You know, he's at his summer house. What's he doing there? Well, he's got the king of the Amalekites down there. I thought God said, kill everybody. He doesn't want anyone to exist. At, he doesn't even want a sheep to exist. Oh, yeah. And he goes... Well, no, no. He goes down and he sees Saul. And Saul goes, oh, hey, how are you? Good to see you. I did God's will. We just wiped him out. And, and Samuel goes, no, you didn't. You didn't do God's will. He's pissed. Why is he pissed? He goes, well, I did everything. And, and, and Samuel goes, well, then what's all this bleeding and bawling and, 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 and this, these sounds I hear from, from sheep and goats? What's all that? Oh, those are the best ones, I say. We're going to sacrifice them to God. Okay, imagine that right now, right? Okay, so what, uh, here's my line of thinking. Um, first of all, I have to go make amends to my drug dealer, right? I have to go do that, right? That's, but, but God and your sponsor says, no, no, cut them off. They're gone. But they're friends of mine. I mean, I felt, I went out there. Day three of my sobriety, I drove out in the middle of the desert where all the planes used to land and un, un, unload bales of weed to tell them why I wouldn't be coming around anymore. Had nothing to do with them personally. We're still friends, but I, I need to get sober and I have to stay away from you, right? And I spent the whole day out there. And I was so happy that I didn't smoke a joint the whole time I was out there. I was in a lot of rooms where there was a lot of smoke, but I didn't get high, <laughs> Right? My sponsor just about beat me to death, man. He did everything but put his hands on me, right? He was that close to just punching me. You stupid son of a gun, 
right? Okay, yeah, but what if I did this? What if I took, what if I got a bunch of, okay, I got a bunch of, 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 of drugs left over, and I'm just going to take them back and, and sell them back to them, right? Okay, there you go. And then I'll take that money and donate that money to AA. How's that, right? No, man, that ain't, you ain't sacrificing squat, right? You ain't sacrificing. You're manipulating. How often do we do that? I heard a guy once say, uh, I went to uh, Goodwill. This was years ago. He, he, he shared this at a meeting. I, w- I went into my garage and I saw a bunch of crap I didn't want. And I was just going to throw it all away. And then I thought, you know, it'd be a good thing if I boxed it all and called, called Goodwill to pick it up. And so they all came, they came and picked it up and I felt really good. And I just want to share to everyone in the meeting that you should do that too. If you really want to feel God in your heart, you need to give to the needy. And, I, you know, crosstalk, schmock talk. I couldn't hold back. I, I, I raised my hand, took that microphone. I go, really? So you gave them all the garbage you were going to throw out anyway. Did you give them your TV, your freaking stereo? How about your car? What'd you give them a value that you have value with, that, that is of value to you? What did you sacrifice? <clears throat> There's no crosstalk in here. Fine. I'll tell this story for years, <laughs> and I have. I just didn't, don't mention his name. I don't even remember his name, which is a good thing. So, so Samuel says to Saul, he goes, you screwed up big time, man. And Saul says, yeah, but, but I sacrifice. And that's what it's all about. And I'm bringing this up because if we're not careful, we will think that's what it's all about. I do a lot of service work. I should feel happy, joyous, and free. Well, you should, but there's something missing. And this is what, if we go back to 1200 BCE for a little word of wisdom, this is what Samuel says, uh, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said, Saul said. <laughs> I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agog, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to the Lord in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. But Samuel replied, oh man, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord, right? Does he dig the sacrifice or obedience more? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed, right? The the Hebrew word, I I, I forget what it is. Uh, I could look it up. Gafa or gasta. Anyway, it means to, to to prick your ears up to listen like a dog does. To listen, to heed, to listen is better than the fat of rams. Right? For rebellion is a sin of div- is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord to the very smallest. It's either one hundred percent or it's nothing. Right? Like my sobriety. Notice this thing is ninety nine percent sober. 
You can't be, you're either in or you're out. God is or he isn't. You did it all or you did nothing. You're sober or you're not sober. Right? He is or he isn't. He's everything or nothing. What's it to be? A slow, agonizing, alcoholic death or a life where you are obedient to the the dictates of your higher power. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And that was it. It was done. Right? And he thought he did so well. So I I, I want to point out the 12th tradition is, is possibly the most important of all. Because again, it is the foundation of all our traditions. Reminding us that sacrifice is what all our traditions are about. What can I give up in my personal desires for the common good? Not just of AA and my fellows, but of all human beings, right? What do I give up? Do I give up screaming in their face? What if someone is obviously wrong? Don't I have the right to scream in their face? I don't think so. Not us. Leave that for someone, the book says, better equipped to handle it, right? That's not what we're called to do. And not only are we called, many are called, but only a few are chosen. We're chosen to save the lives of other alcoholics. A lot of alcoholics right now are having huge homeless problems. They're having mental illness problems because there's no health care for them. They don't have a place to sleep or eat, and they're still drinking. And when they can't get booze... They're huffing paint or something. It's, it's just remarkably horrible out there right now for our people, our kind. The kind that God has chosen us to go help regardless of if they have, you know, whatever they have tattooed on their chest that we don't agree with or their back or their shoulders, you know, we still, or their forehead, <laughs> We still go, man, you're an alcoholic. You're one of mine. You're in my lifeboat. I'm going to help you. And the last thing we remember is that, yeah, sacrifice is the spiritual foundation of all this, but obedience is even more important than sacrifice. You cannot transmit something you haven't got. Right? You have to obey these certain basic rules and after that, right? That's what it says in the doctor's opinion. Once we've had this entire psychic change, just following a few simple rules is all we need to do to be happy, joyous, and free, and to carry this around, to be the key to life for others who are still suffering, to separate them, page 124, right? From, from misery and sometimes death. I have really had a good time coming up here with y'all and out there with you all. And I hope to see you as we trudge the road of happy destiny together. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, Doc Alcoholic. Please join me in thanking Doc one more time. All right, now it's the time for our secretary's report. That secretary is Joseph. Hello, everyone. I am that secretary, Joseph, recovered alcoholic secretary, that is. Um, In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting and declining outside contributions, the baskets are not going around because of Miss Corona. 
Um, however, also based on Doc's lovely um, talk on the 12th tradition, you know, you don't have to give up 10%, but a little sacrifice goes a long way, and you can anonymously, anonymously sacrifice on the interweb using aa.org. Um, general service is hurting in these times financially with a lot of the flesh and bones meanings not open. So, yeah, you can, you know, a little dollar here, a little dollar there. You could do your part and give to the program that is so freely given to all of us um, using that. Um, if you're local, aabroward.org for intergroup, yeah, um, please give and for your soul and your program's sake. All right. Um, tonight, uh, we at this meeting, we say the word recovered alcoholic. I introduce myself as recovered alcoholic. That's what we do. That's what we believe. You're po- Some of you may be like, hmm, what's that about? That's a little weird. That's not what I've been brought up with. But I've asked the lovely OG go- uh, jokest- jokester Tanner to explain exactly what recovered alcoholic means. Oh, is this what Mark's supposed to do? I'm sorry. Tanner, thank you. Yes, please. Alcoholic, my name is Tanner. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we, could, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came today and really tried, fifty percent got sober at once and remained that way. Twenty-five percent sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. All right. Um, This evening, let's throw up some hands out there. If you are a recovered alcoholic, God bless. That's beautiful. In the the Zoom world, um, anyone that you see their hands uh, raised, please reach out to them. And recovered alcoholics, do your duty and reach out to anyone that is in need of a sponsor, um, whose ra- hands will be raised right now. Anyone in the need of a sponsor in the Zoom world, um, please make yourself known. Uh, recover alcoholics, uh, go get them, uh, reach out. Um, boom, that's it. Forget about it. We're here. Um, anyone celebrating a year or more recovery, God bless you. That's beautiful. Go out there and uh, celebrate with getting a new sponsee. Um, that's how you can celebrate uh please join us monday nights big book study um primary purpose group it's a great time we're here uh in this room uh fellowships at 6 30 on zoom big book study starts at 7 15 uh doc will be present again mike chase old bill we got them all it's great 
Um, yeah, look forward to seeing you there. Also to contribute um, for your sacrifice, if you want to buy big books for you, yourself, a loved one, a new sponsee, they, you can buy them, CDs, mugs, large print, the little red dictionaries, go get them um, for sale online. All right, and Alcoholics and God, we meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. We ask you to be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you very much. See you next week. When a member of Alcoholics Anonymous does a guest spot, um, we give them a mug. When they do a step series, we give them a mug. Doc, uh, a couple years ago, did a guest spot, and we gave him a mug in gratitude. Uh, he did a step series, and we gave you a mug, and uh, Doc has asked us to please stop giving him mugs. So <laughs> we'll just give you our, our gratitude. So thank you, Doc, for, uh, for, for an amazing series. Thank you. All right. We have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. Those who wish to thank Doc, you can, you can pray. It's like letters to Santa. It'll get to him, you know, and, uh, or you can, you can come and find him. He might be at a flesh and bones meeting on Wednesday too. Are you, that's still going on? Yeah. Little river Wednesday and on zoom. Let's close with the Lord's prayer. Who will bring us from shame to grace? Our, Our father, father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever.
Shine, shine, shine. 
Michael Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. The fog is lifted 
blessings when I go to sleep at night and I dream now. Yeah, I dream now. And everything's alright. <laughs> oh, man. Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Children. 